Welcome to EnviroPod, a chance to catch up with all the good things your Department of Public Works and Environmental Services does to maintain and improve the environment in Fairfax County. I'm your host, Bob DeMarco, and on this edition of the podcast, I'm speaking with Saurabh Rajay from the Maintenance and Stormwater Division and Katie Torgerson, a planner in the Stormwater Planning Division. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, we're here today to talk about flooding in Fairfax County, and anyone who's lived here for any amount of time knows that it can be an issue here. Uh, but before we get into that, let's just uh, find out a little bit about you. And uh, first, uh, Saurabh, what is the Maintenance and Stormwater Division, and what do you do over there? So I'm an engineer at the Maintenance Stormwater Division. Uh, my particular team, uh, we have the Stormwater Infrastructure Branch, and we manage uh, the conveyance system on the county, uh, so we have an open channel section which manages um, handmade channels uh, for their maintenance and upkeep. Uh, and then we have a closed system that manages uh, about 1,300 miles of pipe, uh, the structures that come with it, and their maintenance and upkeep Jeez, through the life of the site, of the infrastructure. Okay, for the whole life of the infrastructure. 1,300 miles of pipe, that's a lot, and that's probably unexpected to most of us uh, listening. That's a lot to keep track of. Uh, Katie, you're a planner in the Stormwater Planning Division. What What is that? I am the one planner in the Planning Division, um, and I, I work a lot with our other departments in the county to coordinate on stormwater management and um, watershed issues and look for opportunities to partner and collaborate. Um, and then flooding's been kind of a hot topic issue for the last couple of years. So that's been, flood mitigation efforts have been a large part of my role recently. Okay, well then you're the per uh, perfect person to ask, why is flooding an issue in Fairfax County? Always has been one, and why is it, why does it continue to grow and persist? Well, the county has um, a couple of different types of flooding that occur. I think the one that is most prominent in people's minds now is what we call urban flooding. So that's when we have these high-intensity pop-up thunderstorm events often happen during the summer where a lot of rain falls in a very short amount of time. And that overwhelms our drainage system. That's a system um, that our maintenance department maintains. So it comes out of the system um, and it flows over land, often down roads. And if there's not um, a good flow path, um, if, if structures are in the way, it can flood structures as well. Um, so we have that type of flooding. And then I think people more commonly um, nationally see what we call riverine flooding, which is when um, streams overflow. So people who live in regulated floodplains or those areas in or adjacent to stream valleys um, may experience flooding in their homes during large storm events. And then on top of that, there's coastal flooding. Um, we don't have a lot of coastline in Fairfax County, but we do have um, some communities along the Potomac River that are subject to flooding when there's um, tidal surges. So when that hurricane event comes in and pushes water up, up the river, um, they can impact, they can have some impacts from flooding as well. But primarily, our, the biggest issue is this urban flooding, and climate change means that we'll see more of these intense rainfall events um, coming our way, um, so that's most likely we'll see more flooding. 
Is urban flooding the same as flash flooding? Or we, we're familiar with that term, flash flood. You know, we hear yes. that all the time. It's it's same, about the same, same thing. thing. It's just flash flooding is that those very intense pop up storm events that you don't have a lot of time to prepare for. Okay, so, so I'm sorry. So our systems uh, designed to like in that 1,300 miles uh, and the structures that are there. There's some structures which are the inflow points for the water to get in. So in your Storms, which you see on a day-to-day basis, those have the capacity or designed for the capacity to take that water in and move it away. But when the water that's falling on the ground and converting to runoff exceeds what those intakes can take in, you start seeing water ponding, and that's what you see as urban flooding, is the water that's in sometimes just waiting to get into the system, and if the system's getting overwhelmed, could be for very short durations of time, like maybe for 20 minutes. We hear a lot of that when we go out and investigate. Is there were 20 or 25 minutes where water pooled up, and then as soon as the system caught up with it, it everything drained out. So that's what we are seeing a little more and more now with these intense events. That's what urban flooding. Something I never would have uh, been aware of or would have noticed uh, before I started working for Channel 16 and shooting videos with uh, with you folks and others uh, are are these drainage ponds that that are all over the place. I'm not sure what they're called. Retention ponds. Mm-hmm. Um, retention. Retention ponds. Okay, you see them a lot of times in the clover leaves of mm-hmm. uh, you know coming on and off highways, yeah. or you'll see them in neighborhoods. You see them all over the place, and and um, even behind uh, the government center here. Uh, what are those, and um, is, is, is that part of what you're talking about, mitigating these flash floods, just a place for the water to go? So when the system's working, uh, as it collects water, it's collecting more and more drainage area. And so these ponds are located where you would have a large volume of water and a larger flow coming in, and these work to detain the water as, as basins which detain water so that we can control it and what we call them as peak shavers. We are taking this intense storm that could make a lot of damage further downstream and detaining that volume and releasing at a more controlled rate so that the downstream impact is mitigated. So we have them at locations where you get enough of a drainage area flowing to and you want to create that storage point. Okay, as I sit here and I'm talking to the two of you, it occurs to me that um, that Saurabh, you're more on the tactical end of things, and Katie, you're more on the strategic end of things. Um, uh, maybe how to plan out how this all comes to bear over time. And Saurabh, you're looking at the actual water flow, where it's going, how we're gonna. Um, so that's that's interesting to have the two of you here um, at the same time. And so it seems like with <clears throat> the uh, sort of ever-expansive nature of Fairfax County, the always-expanding nature of Fairfax County, this will always be an issue because there will always be ever more impermeable surfaces out there. And when it rains, and it looks like it rains more and more these days, or, or when we have snows and that melts, that water's got to go somewhere. And more and more, it's running off of stuff, <laughs> running off of these surfaces and flooding areas. So we have a Flood Awareness Week in the offing when is that, and how is Fairfax County and DPWES going to honor this? So Flood Awareness Week is March 13th through the 20th, um, and it's it coincides with the state Flood Awareness Week. 
um, I think that's something they started in the past couple of years to bring awareness um, before the spring rains and the hurricane season starts. So to make people aware and start to prepare for a flooding um, ahead of time. And DPW, yes, um, we have a couple of um, messages that we're sharing through social media and through um, like a board matter. Um, but we also just want to highlight what we do on a regular basis. I think flooding is always kind of on the forefront of our minds. Um, and so there are lots of different things that we do to prepare and mitigate and prevent flooding from occurring in the first place and then to respond to it um, after the fact. And I'll pass it over to you. So just as being on the maintenance side of things, what we are looking to do is, so we have a proactive program that assesses all our infrastructure uh, through, through video, as well as uh, we have personnel walking uh, our system to check for issues. So this prevents or mitigates the potential for blockages and causes that could also create this urban flooding scenario. So we are working at that that's all year round and has it on a routine schedule. And in addition to that, uh, we are always also talking with other agencies and working on, Katie works a lot with other agencies to mitigate issues before they become issues. Uh, that's where the planning comes in. Uh, and then during the storm event, uh, we mobilize and work with uh, fire and Rescue, Office of Emergency Management uh, for the larger events. And we will respond to service request complaints uh, for drainage and flooding. Uh, and those are, we have a call center that takes the calls from residents and we go out and investigate those issues. And with that, we are able to then assess and fix any issues that do come into place, which happens after the storm is we'll continue to work with residents, uh, engage them in potential solutions to help mitigate those issues. Okay, but the county is not going out, you're not going out and and fixing things on private property, on people's property. Um, am, I, am I right about that? That is uh, something that's, this is where flood insurance comes in and, and someone like myself who does not live in a flood zone, I'm always kind of like, yeah, but it would be nice to have, <laughs> just in case. Um, so how, what is the county's responsibility to residents when it comes to flooding? And um, tell me how that kind of relates to flood insurance. So I'll, I'll take the first piece. Uh, so we have stormwater easements. So the easements run through private property. Uh, and we use, our infrastructure is what is in. That gives us kind of the ability to go and maintain the infrastructure. So we look at that aspect. It, to some extent, we'll work on private property if, if flow isn't going the way it is or something has changed and we want to re kind of re-engage the flow profile. Uh, so we will do some of that work. We might, uh, in some cases, also do flood mitigation on the property. For example, we've gone out and raised area ways to kind of mm. provide additional protection to entry points into the structures if our assessment brings that up. So there is an extent where private property is worked on. Uh, but I'll let Katie talk about some of the flood insurance pieces. Well. Sure. Um, 
Oh, I just, I, I'm Go sorry, ahead. before you start, I just, it's uh, something that I want to make sure people understand that it's not the county's responsibility to fix your property when it floods. Yes, we have very limited ability to do that. Um, and while we have some um, projects underway, you know, our, our scope and funds do not support fixing all the problems right now. Um, so we, but we do have a lot of um, measures that we try to help um, promote and give residents the ability to do some work um, and recognize what tools they have to do some work on their property to mitigate flooding. One great uh, program um, is we participate in the community rating system um, program, which is a voluntary um, program that's tied to the National Flood Insurance Program um, sponsored by FEMA, which allows people to buy flood insurance um, you know, through the federally backed program. And this CRS program that we're participate in, um, we do enhanced flood mitigation uh, measures through outreach and, and regulations and policies that then translates to a discount on the insurance premiums. And those apply to people both living in FEMA-regulated floodplains, so the people that are by those um, large floodplains near streams in the river, as well as people outside of the floodplains. And I, you know, I found a statistic, I think it's 20% of insurance claims come from what are considered low flood risk areas. Um, so, and anybody can buy that insurance. So that is out there. Um, and we kind of see flood insurance as one great tool in the flood mitigation toolbox um, you know, that you can utilize. Um, and encourage people to talk to their insurance agents to see what's covered under their home, insur um, home insurance. A lot of insurances don't cover flooding. Um, and then assess their flood risk, you know, and, and using that information, um, look at the opportunity to purchase flood insurance, which can be fairly, um, it's not that expensive, especially if you're outside of a floodplain and don't experience flooding very often. It could, it could be that thing that you're so happy you did. You could be thanking your past self for getting that. But does an official flood have to be declared or something like that? Uh, I'm not sure if you're an expert in this. Uh, this is insurance. But um, does, does something have to be officially declared as opposed to, oh, I didn't make that repair in my outside stairwell and now my basement is flooding? Do you know what I mean? Um, it, to, to actually draw funds for flood insurance. I'm not sure. And I know, you know, there are limits to what flood insurance can cover sometimes. There is um, basement flooding, you know, certain things are covered and, and others may not be. So we definitely encourage people to just talk to their agents, see what's available out there and see what's covered and, um, you know, where you think your flood risk lies. Um, I think FEMA has a new rating um, system coming into play and they have a lot more tools that can help you assess your flood risk as well. Um, but that's we kind of see that as one tool in the toolbox, but there are definitely other things you can do proactively to help reduce your risk of flooding in the first place. So hopefully you won't you know necessarily need that insurance. Um, so just to add, uh, just like any other insurance, it's 
it's a tool available for you to assess and see if it'll provide just as any other insurance that alleviation of financial burden which comes with uh, repairing the damage that you have. But the risk will let you assess whether or not that's something you want. So just like any other insurance, you should look at it as a tool if you do need it. Uh, and that's where Katie's saying, but there's other processes that you could look at. Uh, and one of those would be a lot of flow has to flow over ground, although we have infrastructure uh, under the ground. And so making sure you're not blocking the flow, your neighbor's flow or your flow. Uh, sometimes we see sheds or fences that are that allows for that ponding of water to happen on the property rather than it continuing to flow through. And so having these checks, keeping the gutters clean, making sure you know your points of entry, if you have window wells, protecting those adequately. Uh, so some of those can also help, uh, just as Katie's saying, preventing the flooding in the first place. Uh, when I first started here, the levee was being built, or actually they it was still in the works and then it was built. So we've got a good decade between now and then. Um, can you take a look back at, over time and, and analyze how the levee has worked to mitigate flooding in that particular neighborhood? So the, the Huntington levee was put in to protect the community over there, I, I believe from riverine flooding. So water coming out of um, Cameron Run. Um, during large storm events, and, and it was very flashy. Um, I'm not an expert on the levee, but I do know we've had some significant rainstorm events recently that have protected um, that community um, and, and significantly reduced the risk of flooding there. Um, so it's definitely doing... It's doing good. Yeah, anecdotally, I haven't heard a thing about it ever. Uh, you know, since it went in, I haven't heard of a flooding issue there uh, ever since then. So it just goes to show that this planning and then this, you know, investing in infrastructure really works to uh, improve people's quality of life. I mean, there's nothing. I can imagine that there are a few things worse than having all of your property waterlogged and destroyed. You know, just in the blink of an eye. Uh, so what is Fairfax County looking um, towards in the future? What are the kind of things uh, that uh, DPWES is looking to, I, I know it's this growing threat, you're looking to mitigate it, but what kind of programs are in the offing to, to do so? Well, recognizing we kind of have this layered issue with flooding. Um, so we have these older neighborhoods that developed before stormwater management regulations came into play. So they're lacking those detention ponds, and in some cases, even just drainage systems in general um, to convey that water adequately through the neighborhood. Um, and then we have the increased um, risk of climate change on top of that. When we're seeing different types of um, development trends as our county um, transitions from kind of new development to redevelopment in a built-out condition. So taking all of these things into account, um, we recognized we needed a comprehensive approach to flood risk reduction. So DPWES is working with LDS and um, DPD and others to start this planning effort, basically to come up with this holistic approach to um, flood risk reduction. 
So that effort's underway, and we hope to come to the Board of Supervisors um, with a staff recommendation later this year. And additionally, you know, outside of DPWS, there is the Resilient Fairfax effort, and we're we're working kind of alongside that group um, who is developing a plan to ad- ad- address and adapt to climate change, where flooding is is a, you know one of the big impacts. Um, to just kind of align and collaborate with them on our efforts as well. That interagency collaboration seems to make the most sense moving forward. You know, uh, it seems like building in your flood mitigation strategy from the very start is the way to go. And if you can get in with land development services and uh, and uh, development and zoning, or you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> that's the way to go from the very start. Uh, Sarab, what are the material challenges, sort of the technical challenges uh, that that you and your department will be facing moving into the future? Uh, from a materials perspective, I'd say, uh, from flooding-related uh, perspective, we our primary issues come with redevelopment, as Katie is saying, and some of the assessment of the adequacy of infrastructure as it is today or as it was designed, and will it continue to be adequate as more development comes in? So we are looking, and we're build, building our tools to make sure, and we realize that stormwater is everything for us, but for some of the other departments, that's just part of what they do. So we are also providing that outreach and education as to the impact of some of the decisions and what they could impact from a stormwater perspective. So that's a challenge because redevelopment is great, but we also need to work with the stormwater piece of things. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is usually the impact or the highest impact is faced by one or two homeowners, but to generate that impact is more a cumulative drainage area effort. So we, when we try to fix issues, we the, one of the challenges is making changes to properties that aren't necessarily getting flooded, and so working with the homeowners to make them understand that what we are working on their property is going to help mitigate someone else's flooding. So that's another challenge as to keeping this, keeping the infrastructure up to date uh, and educating people, and that's one of the things we are trying to do more and more now. Great. Uh, and I would imagine that uh, if, if the whole neighborhood doesn't flood, everyone's property values are po- are positively affected. Uh, Katie, just uh, as we wrap up, remind us of when um, uh, Flood Awareness Week is and, um, and how people can find out more. Um, so Flood Awareness Week is March 13th through the 20th, and people can find more information on DPWS's website and all their social media accounts. Um, and, you know, I think some of the main messages coming out of there is um, be aware of floodwaters when, you know, when they're there and, and stay clear of them. One foot of water can sweep you off your feet and six are, and also um, move a car. So don't you know, turn around, don't drown is another message. And um, now is the time to start preparing for flooding. Um, So you've got a couple months to to look at your house and see what you can do to prepare and get the flood insurance if you're interested. Katie, so Rob, thank you so much for joining us on EnviroPod. 
Thank, thank you. <laughs> and thank you for listening to EnviroPod. If you want to get more information on the Fairfax County Department of Public Works and Environmental Services and all that it does, go to fairfaxcounty.gov slash public works or call 703-324-5033 weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Thanks again for joining us on EnviroPod, which is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government. Thank you.